This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome to Twig 209. It's just Laura and myself, Eric Kress, who are uh, holding down the fort. It looks like everybody is fucking sick for the last couple months, or last couple, well, last month or so. Uh, my daughter is sick at home right now with, with a fever, but, um, well, besides the fact that they're doing some kind of crazy slush thing right now, and that's why um, uh, Eric's seafood is gone. Um What's his name? Uh, Mr. Levy is uh, sick. And again, dude, the guy's been, that family has been sick for the last month. Um, So anyway, lots of stuff going around right now. uh, And it's uh, creating havoc on the schedule. But Laura and I are holding down the fort. Um, I think we have an interesting show for you today. Lots to cover, including the Google Dubai event. Um, We also are going to talk about Nintendo and mobile again after a three-year hiatus. Uh, these Chinese game regulations that are happening, and more crap about New Zoo. Uh, they finally have brought down their numbers. Uh, I don't know where they've been for the last like twelve months, but there, here you go. And then a little bit about Microsoft and Activision um, again, um, uh, as more and more kind of news flow happens there. So lots to talk about. How's everything with you, Laura? What's going on? Anything interesting in Seattle? Interesting. Nothing interesting in Seattle. I did miss last week because I was in Mexico, which was like my first proper time in Mexico. It was lovely. It was warm and sunny and kind of everything Seattle can't really offer right now. So it was a great, (laughs) it was a great break from what is now full on winter. Nice. Um, How's your apartment? How's everything like settling in overall? Settling and overall, so I've actually it is is now I've been here a month and change. Um, I have some furniture. I have a flat. I gotta be honest. My, I, I basically spend my time walking to work, working, and then coming coming back more or less. It's been. Wait, are you you're actually working in the office? Regularly? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I go in. Oh. I go in about two days a week. Now, don't get me wrong. I was only two I days was, a week. Yeah, only two days a week, and I was very much on the fence where I thought that I would never go back to an office ever again. Remote is the way to go. We were just as productive, and we're still just as productive. But it is nice to get out of the kind of the monotony of wandering out my flat and never leaving and actually going to an office and having kind of an alternative place to work and then changing mindset that way. I don't want to be, I feel like I don't want to be quoted on that because I actually love hybrid and I love remote. But it's been it's been nice. It's been nice actually having a, an alternative place to go. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't even imagine. You've been like a road warrior for so long. Can't imagine going in the office. But uh, 
That's cool. Is it? And I felt how, many so people, how many? How big is that office? The the Big Fish Seattle office. Yeah. It, it's it's big. It's beautiful. It's in the Maritime Building. It's on the water. I mean, this also helps, right? Like, like nice. I'm sitting and I have a gorgeous view of the um of like the islands and the mountains and water. So that awesome. that certainly helps. It's a great office. I do feel bad though because I um I was supposed to go to Dubai with you, and I think I had made a pat. We're like we're going to Dubai, and then I completely abandoned you. <laughs> no, that that was okay. Actually, it, it actually made more sense just to, for me to do it because uh, okay. So that that's actually the next update. So I was in Dubai last week. Reason I wasn't around. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever been to Dubai or how many people have been on Dubai to listen to the podcast, but it's basically Vegas without gambling, right? It is like an absolute spectacle, right? You know, they, it's a miracle of city planning that they built this small New York City in the middle of a fucking desert, you know? And evidently, November is supposedly the nicest time, and it was fucking 96 degrees. It was like That's super amazing. hot. And so evidently, it's like 100 plus year round, except for like November, December, um, and maybe parts of January. Um, Anyway, it was cool. And I have been there since 2000. So it was like when I went there in 2000, it was literally like one row of huge buildings in the middle of the fucking desert. And then right next door was like a was fucking desert. Right. It was like these big, huge buildings and a whole just desert. It was crazy. But this they clearly built this thing out to the nth degree. It was really fun. Um, the presentation went reasonably well. Uh, I was a little salty and saucy compared to the rest of the salespeople at Google. I'll tell you that. Uh, but these guys really know how to throw events, man. I'm telling you, these Google guys are are, are awesome. Um, I had one day to uh, cruise around, see the old souks and uh, the Palms area. Also the Dubai Museum of the Future. Um, unfortunately, I didn't see the indoor ski slope, which I had seen last time I was there, uh, which is in the other mall. Um, and then the event itself was in... Uh, was in the hotel that I was at, but the, but the, uh, the party afterwards was amazing. It was the aura in the palms and it had a, a, in the roof, it had a, a, a infinity pool all the way around on the roof. <laughs> it was crazy. Fucking Did crazy. you bring your swimsuit? Did you actually go swimming? Hell no. No one wants to see that. No one wants to see that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. You no. have an infinity pool on a roof, 96 degree weather. And no, you no, didn't, no, 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 you no. didn't enjoy no, it. No, no. Um, <laughs> But my, my key takeaway is that there are a lot of fucking Russians in <laughs> in Dubai, uh, a lot of Turkey Turkish people. <laughs> I met the uh, Gushki brothers, who are investors in gaming, um, and they live in Cyprus, uh, and they are also Russian, and they were pretty funny because they're twins, and so I we had the immediate connection, the instant twin connection with these guys, uh, but very very smart and interesting uh, investors. Um, and again, there's a ton of money out there. I, don't, I mean, lots of money in that in that part of the world. Just saying. Um, so anyway, really cool event. Uh, thanks for having me, Mr. Googles. Um, and uh, we the next event will probably be in Turkey again next year. Uh, and then maybe hopefully we go to uh, I really want to just go to Israel. I'm going to go to uh, Tel Aviv. So hopefully they can get that going. Uh, anyway, slush is happening, as I said, and a bunch of people are there. I wish I kind of was there, uh, going from one extreme to another. It's evidently freezing. Um, but, uh, we'll get some updates next week from that. It looks like a big event. It looks like it's really well attended and, uh, Deconstructor Fun is there. All right. We are going to move on. Um, I want to start off with a positive update because I have a feeling <laughs> that this podcast is not going to be so positive 
uh, I, 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 first of all, I'm in a saucy mood, uh, but I'm also, there's just a lot of shitty news going on out there. And, and I'm not even going to talk about the blockchain crypto double winter that's going on right now. <laughs> and that, that's not even where I'm going, right? But uh, I did get a little bit of feedback from a few people that I'm a little bit too negative these days, um, which may be true. But I think we're covering the news and that's what's going on in the news. So um, it ain't all that great right now. So the warning to the Care Bears out there, like if this is not going to be one of those like rainbows and unicorns podcasts. So if you want to tune out, fine, go ahead. Right. Um, But for the first positive update, Modern Warfare 2 is off the hook, yo. As we expected, as I've been saying, consoles never dead, right? They just keep coming back, right? And according to the publisher, it topped $1 billion in sales in 10 days. Um, and that is like beats the record for Black Ops 2. I do not believe that this game will do sell as well as Black Ops 2 uh, but but over the life of it. But maybe it will. I don't know. It's crazy, right? Uh, Black Ops 2 took 15 days to reach this milestone. They did it in 10 uh, I think there's a lot of pent-up demand from a terrible game last year, uh, which has brought the market down, as I've said in the podcast before. Um, and hardware is becoming more available. And so the console market is on fucking fire right now, people. It's on fire, right? Forget mobile, think console. As I've been saying for the last fucking six months to a year, long console, short mobile, because mobile is a shit show. Console is still strong. Hardware is up 34% in October. Software is up 19%. I expect positive console in November, December. The only laggard right now is Nintendo, which is having trouble with uh, hardware and software. And I think partially because the, the thing is a little bit long in the tooth. But they typically do really well in December. So anyway, uh, yeah, consoles is is on fire. And I've been doing presentations and listening to people and on these talks and these experts in the industry keep talking about the console market being stagnant and whatever. And I may do a piece on this next week, but like I, I it's, it, it surprises me that people that have been in this industry so long don't tip, don't really understand fundamentally what this industry is about. So maybe I'll bring that up next week. Um, all right. Uh, that's the positive updates. The rest are not so positive. So go ahead, Laura, what do you got? Well, you're, since you're, we're already, since update. we're at- since we're on the topic of console, do you want to cover Nintendo first? And then I'll jump to my interesting no. game finds. No, no, no continue. All right. Go, go the All landmark right. thing. We'll get to Nintendo in a moment. So I've been, I've been trying to keep an eye on um, which, com- which studios are forming, who's forming them, and then how much, like, kind of who's getting funding. Uh, and I, I saw a headline that Landmark Games raised just under $5 million to grow their studio and continue work on their game, Sea of Souls. So I actually had a plan when I was kind of preparing for this that I was going to continue to play Marvel Snap, which I am doing. And then I got really distracted because uh, I started like looking at, at these, this company. And the founders from Landmark, which has raised the money, came from Big Pixel Studios, which had made Pocket Mortys for Adult Swim. And I believe they were, they were acquired by Adult Swim. Um, they were making games, and then they ended up shutting down in 2020. So... Um, Following that, now the, the founders came from Big Pixel, started um, started Landmark, and started development of Sea Souls. Now I don't have the exact order; I don't know them personally, but I actually downloaded the game, and it is a super interesting game. It is how I, how I would personally describe it, and I'm at Reputation level five, so I've played an, I've played enough. I'm beyond the tutorial. Um, but I would describe it as Archro meets a cooperative Brawl Stars, except instead of PvP, it's PvE, and it has a little bit of a campaign, but I think that's mostly the tutorial. I actually love the concept, 
Um, I couldn't, I had trouble putting it down. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun so far. It's still early, completely acknowledge it's still very early. And I think it works. I think it works well in the PVE format. I think it could also work really well in PVP once they have enough numbers. I took a peek in Sensor Tower, I think is a very, very early game. Um, there's not so many downloads according to Sensor Tower yet. It seems like they're keeping it small for learning, just getting early KPIs, probably doing some iteration. Um, I don't think monetization is in yet. I couldn't open the shop, but I will reiterate, I am at the beginning. Um, there's a chance I haven't unlocked the store, Marvel Snap Part 2, but I don't I don't think so because when I peeked at monetization and Sensor Tower, it was empty. Um, what I like about this game is there's enough strategy and agency and uh, flexibility in kind of the, the Archro style buffs in the round that you can kind of play in the way that suits your strengths. And for someone like me, where I can't play Call of Duty or any of those games because I just don't have the, the Twitch ability and there's a, there's a large audience like myself that can't do it. This, this enabled me to kind of find the ways that make me the most helpful person to my cooperative team um, and also just make it more fun because then I'm not constantly dying. Um, I'm gonna keep an eye on it as it scales. I think I'm looking forward to seeing how they do a variety of, up, of upgrades for the different types of ships and, and um, how you're battling. Uh, the vanity items, different types of maps and enemies. I'm, I hope this is a little bit of positive. I'm super excited, um, and I'm just going to keep an eye on this going forward. So interesting well, new know, game that's out there. Yeah, I, I, You know what's interesting about this, and, and I can't believe I'm going to say this um, out loud, but uh, but part of the kind of the thesis going forward is making mass market game play with deep monetization design. So we're, we're not seeing the deep monetization design in this, but um, but these are the type of games that could kind of break through if 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 you do build deep monetization design. And so this is where I'm going to look throw up in my mouth a little bit. But like you know some of these hyper casual developers that have had these real successes of, of games that are really easy to pick up and play that they could download it a jillion times if they can actually transition to make games that actually monetize, which is kind of what they're trying to do. I think a little bit, but they don't have the expertise to do. I believe like companies like Voodoo, etc. Um, but, but these are the type of games that may actually break through in the new world order that Apple has created for us. Um, so yeah, let's keep tracking it and see, um, we, we want to like see experimentation around these type of things. And we know Archero did so well, um, yeah. for the exact reason, um, and, 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 and those style of games and different style, different types of games with that, 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 that idea, um, will help kind of hopefully eventually grow this industry um, again, because I think we're going to, again, we're in, we're in for the world of hurt right now. Yeah. We um, want, we need new interesting things. And I like seeing, I like seeing companies take, take risks and trying different mashups. It's, I think everyone, I, I would say that the core hypothesis is that if you can, if you can give something interesting to players and it is, it, you can find the fun, they'll play it. So excited for this company and, and I'm rooting for them and I'm going to keep an eye on it. So this dovetails interestingly into the uh, Nintendo piece. The reason I'm bringing this up, I, I think they covered it last week, but uh, they don't cover, they didn't cover it well. But um, so Nintendo establishes <laughs> a, a game venture with DNA. So dude, this is an interesting twist, dude. We've been like, we've been, we haven't heard from Nintendo for like three years, right? They just completely disappeared, right? I think they just basically halted their strategy for mobile because it was a fucking train wreck, right? But um, and, and joint ventures are something that typically happen in, in Japan. It's not something very, very uh, regular in the U.S., generally speaking. 
but you know, Nintendo basically has 80% ownership in this in this uh, combined company, which is called oh, I totally oh Nintendo Systems, right? So anyway, DNA is is uh, sorry, they, they they're a technology provider and a game developer in combined. They they have the expertise in building games that monetize, while Nintendo has all the IP. So the joint venture makes sense. And, and they were kind of working together before, but this is like an official thing. Anyway, I'm just digressing here. But again, we have not talked about Nintendo for a long time because everything that they came out with was absolute crap, right? The Marvel Kart Tour, Mario Kart Tour, Animal Crossing, Mitomo, Pikmin Ooh. Bloom, which was all that was fucking a train wreck from a financial perspective. Maybe the games were good. Don't get me wrong, but the games were good. Except for Fire Emblem Heroes, which was amazing, right? Absolutely per- perfect execution for mobile. Um, so... Anyway, so they just failed, right? And they didn't generate the revenue they expected. It disappointed investors. Like it was, it was, a, it was an absolute train wreck. So, but given the new world world order of mobile that that Apple has created, this this could get more interesting, right? Because Nintendo's IP does break through, right? It is, you know, it is something that actually could bring more people to the to the audience, increase the funnel, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, is that Nintendo still, and the reason the thesis was before with Nintendo is that they need to give up creative control to DNA and this, this team um, uh, and give them autonomy to build real free to play designs with Nintendo's IP. And that's going to be where this goes off the rails, right? Is that they're not going to do that. Right. But their potential is there. Um, and hopefully the teams can execute and we'll see if they can build some more successful games out on the marketplace with um, Nintendo IP. Any thoughts? Okay, I, I almost when I, when you referred to Animal Crossing as a flop, I, you mean the mobile version, not the, the mobile console version. version. Dude, okay, no, the I was mobile say, version I, of. I was okay. like pulling up Wikipedia with the sales of Animal Crossing on console. No, no, no. I was like, that was a great game. <laughs> no, Animal Crossing on mobile phones is a fucking no-brainer, right? There, there, there's no reason, there's no way you could fail building an Animal Crossing for mobile devices, but they did, right? Because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And they didn't give up the IP, and they didn't build the the the, the free to play systems that were required. But that, that that there's no reason that should ever fail. But that that's a, that that I mean we we maybe we talked about this ages ago, uh, but it failed miserably, miserably. All right, um, all right. The next article. Uh, oh, Chinese game regulators uh, pose a major potential threat to the mobile game business in the country. Okay, so. Uh, The article basically goes on to say, you know, like unclear regulations, licensing freezes are all very challenging for domestic and foreign game companies operating in China, um, particularly for mobile. Right. And 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 the article actually gave actually the numbers. And this is actually I think it was an article from Newzoo, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, I I, I should have thought about this. But anyway, no, no. Anyway, so there have only been 314 games approved this year versus uh 679 last year, right? But this is like a pales into comparison to the 9,000, over 9,000 that were approved in 2017. So they have drastically reduced the games, the amount of games that are coming to market, right? And the, the most egregious part about this particular announcement is that literally zero, zero foreign games have been approved for license throughout 2022. Let's that sink in for a minute. Zero foreign games are a bit allowed. Is that fair? Like at all? Like that, that China is fucking investing in all these game companies and building all these 
TikTok and all these things and taking advantage of the U.S. market. And we are not allowed to publish one game in China. I mean, I don't want to get too political here, you know, you know, but I fundamentally believe it is time for policymakers to fucking wake up and start actually making changes to make the playing field more fair. And with these investments in Ubisoft that they're doing, this creative uh, you know, financial engineering that's going on. Like this is fucking bullshit at this point. Right. And it, and I think it's going to get, it, it's definitely, and the restrictions are getting worse and worse every year. And so it's like, it, none of this makes sense to me. Right. None of this at all makes sense in terms of, uh, of how these, these companies are operating and what the government's doing in, 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 in this realm. And that, and one of my buddies, Hendrik actually had a big rant at one of the, um, conferences that i will probably reference uh again but uh but anyway it's bad news bears for everybody um out there that's trying to compete fairly in the in the market clearly so thoughts laura well i want to tread carefully because i (laughs) selfishly i took a i don't want to get banned from going to china because i actually went loved it i've been learning mandarin for the last year and a half in hopes that i can eventually return um it's tough i think it's really it's difficult to talk about licenses and games in China without referencing politics because they are very closely tied. And uh, for Eric and I were talking briefly before, you know, before we started recording that the, it's got, it's, you know, it's gotten a lot more restrictive and it, it is timed. It is interestingly timed when China is also trying to fo- reduce the amount of time that people are spending in games. So there's probably a little bit of a tie into that. So less games in the market, less distractions. It it's a really tough one. I have a friend that is working. He is working with a studio in China, and they are they're based. I think they're based in Shanghai, and he's struggling to get a license and there to make games and you know for the for that market. And um, and it's been it's been a it's been an incredibly frustrating journey for him, and they've had to pivot. So. This is unless we start unpicking kind of the politics behind it. It is, I agree. I completely. It's a really tricky one. It's a really tricky one, and I, it, it's a shame because I, I do, I do want it to be to feel a little bit fair, and I think there could be some great experiences, player experiences that, that we could create for for all the markets. And it's it's tough when you have when there's this many restrictions. I mean, I. I, I... Honestly, I think like what would be fair is ultimately if the government basically decides that China can only publish maybe five titles every year in the U.S. market, right? Let's just do it that way, right? Why, why, you know, let's be fair about it, right? So let's say the government says to Apple and Google, we only publish five, pick five, all right? And then and then we'll see how that works, right? I mean, it's not even logical the way things are operating at this point. Um, and then Apple changes their policies in China about ATT and like, you know, favored nation status with in that. It's like, anyway, it's all out of whack. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if, if anything is ever done um, from that perspective on the political level. Um, all right. The next one, is, I, I, you know, I hate to pick on Nuzu so much. Um, I actually do talk to those guys. But maybe I do like to pick on Nuzu, right? It's just, it's just fun, right? But, uh, you know, so in November, fucking November 16th, they come out with a report saying the global games market's declining for the first time since they covered the industry. 
Really? Where the fuck have you been? Right? I mean, how is this happening in November? Right? How could they have not seen this coming last year? Like, actually, 18 months ago, even. Right? Harsh regulations in China were happening. Right? This was this was going on. IDFA just completely rat-fucked the whole industry. And now they say, oh, hey, the market's going to be down. But don't worry about it. We're back to hockey stick growth for the next fucking 10 years. Right? So, anyway, the, the, the quote in the article is just... So fucking stupid in a lot of ways. So while we anticipated the removal of IDFA and pressure on people's disposable income would dampen spending on mobile games, the first quarter of 2022 was still relatively strong. However, which is fucking wrong. Okay, first of all, all the mobile markets started falling apart in the Q1. It was all impacted by IDFA in the back half of last year, which we could see in downloads, which I've said a million times. Q1, it started to fucking... it went off the rails in Q1, so that's wrong, fundamentally wrong, what they just said there. And then how, they say, however, spending the second quarter was significantly lower than last year. Again, yes, of course, because it was bad in Q1, it's bad in Q2. And so, anyway, they're supposed to be forecasting this stuff based upon what's going on in the industry, and they weren't doing that, right? Okay, so all of it, this, this the whole thing is ridiculous. And then on top of it, on top of it, they put on these nonsensical reports about VR and then the cloud gaming report that we talked about. And they're probably going to have an esports one out any day now. They, when are they going to – they're focusing on these dumb markets that don't matter, right? They should just basically get rid of all these other reports and focus on the port that matters, the one about the industry, to talk about what the dynamics are and what thing, why things are not going to happen, right? So stop writing about the cloud. Stop writing about VR. Stop it. Just stop, okay, and focus on – Getting the core gaming right mar- market right for both console and mobile. Thank you. Um, that's it. That's it. That's all I got on Newzoo. All right, moving on. I'm not going to ask Mo- you to comment nope. on that one. Moving on. Okay. Moving on. Okay. EU. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. 
With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Excel acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. Um, okay, the next one uh, is, uh, oh, do you want to cover, why don't you cover this one? And then I'll do my thing. Sorry. Yeah, I can cover. Um, so a little bit, everyone knows that. Well, not everyone, but there is um, back in, there was back in January this year, Microsoft announced that they were going to buy Activision Blizzard. Um, and it is now, it is, and this was initially for $95 per share in an all cross, in all cash transaction valued at $68.7 billion. And this would make um, Microsoft the third largest gaming company behind Tencent and Sony. And this is from, I believe, their press release. The board approved the acquisition in April. And then I believe since then, there's been, uh, there's just been kind of investigations to make sure that this is not, uh, correct me, Eric, not violating any antitrust, uh, anything related to antitrust, right? So they've been doing investigations to make sure that this can happen. Right. Um, so there was an update uh, and the, the commission said it was worried that Microsoft would keep Activision Blizzard games off of rival consoles or degrading the terms and conditions for their use of use of or access to those games on other consoles. So there's some concerns that have been raised. Um, and I, I posed a general a, a genuine question, which was that's what they're saying. Kind of the concern is that's what their investigation is looking at. How how realistic of a concern is this? Is this mostly coming from competitors of Microsoft so for example is Sony concerns that this is that this could happen or is this something that actually happens and this is what I posed to to Eric who had a, a good reply <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean look Microsoft continues the Game of Thrones releases like just basically being super political like again I'm just saying I keep saying the same thing is that Phil Spencer at Microsoft is just is a shill for for the PR teams that are trying to get this deal done and the bankers and all that other stuff. And so everything he says is related to defending this deal and getting it done, right? By any means necessary, really, at this point. Um, and so basically all these press releases are built around the idea that, um, and, the, and the most recent one, which was fucking preposterous, I, I Someone sent it to me on the Slack group, and I think that's put me on the bad mood, right? It was like, Phil Spencer says, Activision Blizzard deal is focused on Candy Crush, not Call of Duty, okay? So, so the, 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 the ridiculousness of that statement and the fact that it's actually even quoted as not being ridiculous in any type of press is, is, blows my mind. But maybe I'm just completely obtuse on this. I don't know, whatever. But the, fo- the fact of the matter is, this has fucking nothing to do with Candy Crush, right? So what they're trying to do is redefine what the market is. They are trying to defend themselves and saying that owning Call of Duty is not going to impact the overall share in the gaming market, which includes mobile, in which they are not focused on, right? And so that is what they're trying to do. And so it says, if we're not able to find customers on phones, 
on any screen that someone wants to play on, you really are going to get segment a niche part of the market and running a global business will become very challenging. Basically, if you're only focused on console, this is not a big enough market to make it interesting for Microsoft, basically is what he's saying. And, and they're trying to scale this business outside of console, right? Um, and so the, and then, and then his quote is in the same article or the same, uh, it was an interview actually, uh, Phil Spencer's interview on, I forgot, GameSpot or something like that. The idea that Activision is all about Call of Duty on console is a construct that might get created by our console competitor, right? Okay, so this is the narrative they're trying to, to spin, right? They're basically saying, if we buy Call of Duty, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because we're, we're not competing in just the console market. We're competing in the global gaming market, which is much bigger than just the console market, right? Which is a valid, it's an actual valid argument to some degree, particularly for antitrust in the U.S. That, that's why they'll never actually get, uh, the U.S. will likely rubber stamp this thing because there are no rules on the books. So the rules on the books are, are, are set so that you have to, you have to be, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to get this, the legalese right here, but they define the market. You have to define the market to see what, what share you're gaining. And if you're gaining a significant amount of share by this thing, that's what starts tripping like problems in, in, in the U.S. But, but you define the market differently, right? So that's the playbook that they're going after right now. But what, is, what, what doesn't make sense and what doesn't pass the logic, like the, the, the common sense thing, is that if you own Call of Duty on console which is the biggest game ever. It just did a billion dollars in 10 days, right? And, and you have that game on your console exclusively. That is an unfair competitive advantage against Sony. Just on, on a reasonable, like any logical person could see that, right? And so they're trying to defend away from that by saying the market is much bigger, right? That's the fundamental thing that they're doing. And at this point, for me, I'm starting to hope that Microsoft gets, doesn't get the steal. I think this, this is all fucking gross, by some, in a lot of ways, I think, you know, he's doing whatever he has to do, Mr. Schiller, you know, Mr. Fucking Spencer to, to get this deal done. And he's completely misrepresenting why they're doing this deal to begin with. And it's kind of at this point becoming like more and more dishonest. Every, every press release, every, every interview he gives, it's just all a bunch of crap. Right. And so, so as I said, the last time I think is that what's interesting is that in Europe, they don't have these type of uh, the rules in place and they can basically determine things based upon whatever that particular circumstance. They don't re rely on precedent. So it makes it easier to block these deals. And I think ultimately, and I, I, I probably have said this before, they either block this deal in the EU or UK or make like severe stipulations about what they're able to do with the franchises that they're acquiring, which make it less attractive and interesting for Microsoft. Um, but, but maybe they get it done that way. But, uh, but anyway, I, I they're, fighting hard to get this done, but I just, I don't know. I don't think this is good for the industry um, longer term. And I think, um, and they're completely misrepresenting this whole thing. So anyway. So just one, one, one question. So in, in a time when I, I would read a lot of the market now, especially with, with games that are coming out, they want to be on as many platforms as possible. And I understand why Microsoft theoretically would want to limit Call of Duty to just Xbox or just their their products. But do they really think that it would make it better? That seems counter to what to what the move is at the moment. And I just I would do. They, do you really think that that would happen? 
I guess I, I'm struggling because I can't imagine that, let's say the deal goes through, that they would then decide these franchises only are hardware. I just, I just can't picture that happening. And maybe it would, maybe I'm being naive, but um, to me, that seems very far-fetched. Well, I mean, what's, what's more compelling for a customer to have, to buy a Microsoft subscription that has Call of Duty or to buy Sony's platform that doesn't have Call of Duty? I mean, it's that simple. Right, you know what the value prop is for that subscription is a, is remarkable. 120 bucks, and you get access to all these games, you know, plus the new Call of Duty every year. That's like, I mean, who wouldn't take that deal, you know? And and in 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 some ways, I think people kind of misunderstand. And what I was trying to allude to earlier is that people misunderstand this market. This market is not some innovative market where there's all kinds of new shit coming out constantly that like you know rethink the industry. These are just basically the same games over and over again, over and over again. Like the notion that Call of Duty is like some kind of innovative new piece of software this year. It's ridiculous, right? This is the same game they've been making, just improving upon it like incrementally every year, similar to Madden and FIFA, right? But this is what the customer wants, right? And so the the lion's share of the industry is built around games. And I got to do the analysis on what the percentage is, but are built on these yearly iterations that 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 draw in the audience and keeps them spending and engaged, right? And again, all the market was grown based upon incremental spend for these big franchises, right? So for the last like 10 years, the business has gone from a $50 ARPU to like $120 ARPU because FIFA, Madden, NBA 2K, and Call of Duty have, have grown microtransactions, right? And so Call of Duty has like a significant share every year of this industry. You move that from that one game to just one plat to the single platform, it's going to be a huge draw for people. And on top of that, you're building a buying a subscription that's at a, a discounts all the content that you're getting. Right? It's like it's a no brainer. And so Sony's going to get their ass handed to them if once this goes exclusive. Um, and so I guess I didn't answer your question, but the answer to your question is like. Yeah, financially, it doesn't make sense to not push it, publish it on Sony platform. But I've said many times, they don't give a fuck, right? They don't care about the billion dollars they're going to lose every year because they're trying to build a subscription, right? That's what they want to do. And they want to build, bring people over to Xbox and they do, do it by any means necessary. And so all the press and PR bullshit that they're talking about is not real, right? That's not, that's not their goal. Um, and I will argue this until my days. So like in three years, when they make it this thing exclusive, everyone's gonna be like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. I'm like, well, of course they would do that, you know? And so um, uh, the biggest challenge is that Sony is really the only one that's like fighting this, right? I, I'm, I'm sure EA is not happy about it either, but, um, but I think Sony is the only one that's doing it. And I've said before, is like they don't have the sophistication that Microsoft has in terms of fighting this. And, and the PR and the consultants and the bankers. And so that makes it real challenging for them to, to go after uh, Microsoft on this. Um, I, hate, I feel like I'm repeating myself a million times, but I definitely talked a lot about this when I was in Google. But um, the, uh, um, what was I going to say? The Europeans fucking hate Microsoft, right? Ge I mean, generally speaking, the brand is not as strong for in Europe as in, in the U.S., and they absolutely, and Sony is beloved, right? So there's a certain level of loyalty to the brand and to the company that probably is helping them, uh, you know, get more attention in Europe. So we'll, 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 we'll see what ends up happening. But again, I think personally and professionally, I think 
it's be- we're we're better off as an industry if Activision stays independent. That's what I'm going to say, right? And I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I believe that that is the case. We do not want Activision as part of Microsoft, right? At this stage, if you're if you're someone that really wants the, the health of the console industry uh, to continue, so that's kind of my thoughts as I rant and ramble. Yeah. And I, um, I think, yeah, it's pretty clear. And 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 I think that's. That's all we had for today, uh, kind of a short one. Next week, we're going to actually go into some more detail around, um, there was a really interesting article about King that uh, Laura's going to cover that we can do. Um, and we'll have, hopefully, the whole full crew back. I, I, I do want to go into this, somewhat into this FTX thing, <laughs> this crypto winter nightmare. But what I will say um, as, as, a, as a closing negative, sorry, pessimistic, cynical type thing is that based upon every conversation that I had at Google event last year, we are still in the days of reckoning for mobile. Like mobile is going to be a very, very challenging space for the next few years because there, most people do believe that fingerprinting will get removed by the end of this year, early next year, which will actually decrease fidelity out there um, from a UA perspective. Uh, Google is coming out with their stuff sometime next year. Obviously they didn't give me any details of what that is. And of course, it won't be as egregious and as decimating as ATT, but it's going to be create less fidelity in the market and and less targeting of of the spenders. Um, and I just it just feels to me like most people are kind of like, you know, we are in a huge transition in mobile, and I think it's going to take a few years to figure it out. And but at the end of the day, if you can't target whales and you can't optimize against spend, it's going to be a real challenge. If there's no UA arbitrage. Um, it's going to be a real big challenge for the entire market. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we'll see how that all evolves over time. Um, but for those care bears out there that, that worried about being too negative next week, we'll, we'll try to bring it, bring the positive vibe with all the crew, um, except for <laughs> crypto, right? I got to talk to him about <laughs> this crypto thing. It is like, it is Armageddon, dude. I mean, this is like worse than Madoff, worse than like, what was that other, uh, I mean, it's like, it is unbelievable, like how, how crooked these people were in terms of what they were doing in order to, anyway, sorry, we're not talking about that. But anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. And um, we'll, we'll see you next week. We have uh, two more uh, Eric's Corner, whatever the fuck that thing's called, um, interviews uh, and a really interesting one that I'm going to do, but with this guy, Hendrik, who talks about this China stuff um, pretty regularly. So anyway, keep, stay tuned. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye, everyone. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructorofun.com slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.